This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, June 11th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kate Trinko. Today, we feature our colleague Rachel Del Judas's interview with Armstrong Williams, host of the Armstrong Williams Show. They discuss the killing of George Floyd, racism in America, and more. Don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. On Capitol Hill Wednesday, Philonis Floyd testified before the House Judiciary Committee. Here's some of what he had to say via CBS. George always made sacrifices for our family, and he made sacrifices for complete strangers. He gave the little that he had to help others. He was our gentle giant. I was reminded of that when I watched the video of his murder. He called all the officers, sir. He was mild-mannered. He didn't fight back. He listened to all the officers. The man who took his life, who suffocated him for eight minutes and 46 seconds, he still called them, sir, as he begged for his life. I can't tell you the kind of pain you feel when you watch something like that. When you watch your big brother, who you looked up to your whole entire life, die, die begging for his mom. I'm tired. I'm tired of pain. Pain you feel when you watch something like that. When you watch your big brother, who you looked up to for your whole life, die, die begging for his mom. I'm here to ask you to make it stop. Representative Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, and the top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee said this via BBC News. Mr. Floyd, the murder of your brother in the custody of the Minneapolis police is a tragedy. Never should have happened. It's as wrong as wrong can be. And your brother's killers will face justice. Jordan also said this. There are 330 million people in this great country, the greatest nation ever, Not perfect, but the best nation ever. And they understand, they understand, the American people understand it's time for a real discussion, real debate, real solutions about police treatment of African Americans. Americans also understand that peaceful protest, exercising their First Amendment liberties, honors George Floyd's memory, and it helps that discussion, that debate, and those solutions actually happen. The people of this great country, you know what else they understand? You know what else they get? They understand that there is a big difference, a big difference between peaceful protest and rioting. There is a big difference between peaceful protest and looting. There is a big difference between peaceful protest and violence and attacking innocent people. And there is certainly a big difference between peaceful protest and killing police officers. New evidence has come to light that George Floyd and Derek Chauvin, the officer charged with second-degree murder for Floyd's death, were not only former co-workers, but had a history of tension with one another. David Pinney worked at El Nuevo Rodeo Club when Floyd and Chauvin both worked security for the nightclub together, and he told CBS News that the two, quote, bumped heads. When asked about the reason for the tension between the two men, Pinney said, It has a lot to do with Derek being extremely aggressive within the club with some of the patrons, which was an issue. 
Penny also told CBS that he does not doubt that Chauvin knew Floyd and recognized him on the day he arrested him and proceeded to press his knee to Floyd's neck for nearly nine minutes. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell criticized the New York Times in a speech on the Senate floor on Wednesday. The Times opinion editor, James Bennett, resigned recently due to the uproar from the New York Times staffers over the opinion section publishing an op-ed by Senator Tom Cotton, Republican of Arkansas, about potentially using troops to keep order amid the riots in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd. Via Politico. In the last several years, Madam President, the New York Times has published op-eds from Vladimir Putin, the foreign minister of Iran, and a leader of the Muslim Brotherhood. They have published an essay arguing for greater normalization of pedophilia. As far as I know, none of those decisions occasioned public revolts from the paper's staff, hand-wringing apologies from the editors, or an overhaul of the masthead. Presumably, it was understood that pushing the envelope and airing disagreements are necessary in a free market of ideas. But one week ago, the gray lady finally met her match. Vladimir Putin, no problem. Iranian propaganda, sure. But nothing, nothing could have prepared them for 800 words from the junior senator from Arkansas. Senator Cotton wrote an op-ed explaining a position which one survey found 58% of Americans agreed with. He argued that leadership in several cities had proven they either couldn't or wouldn't stop the riots. So President Trump should use federal troops to secure the peace as several presidents have uh, in our history. His view was controversial, no question, but there's also no question it was a legitimate view for a senator to express. Oh, but the facts couldn't hold a candle to the hurt feelings. Two statues of Christopher Columbus were damaged by rioters on Tuesday night. In Richmond, Virginia, an eight-foot statue of Columbus located in Bird Park was pulled down with ropes and dragged into a lake about 200 yards away. The base of the statue was covered with graffiti, and a sign reading, Columbus represents genocide, was set on top of the base where the monument used to sit. Protesters were present holding signs that read, this land is Powhatan land, and Columbus represents genocide. In Boston, a statue of Columbus was beheaded in the city's park named after the explorer. The head was left laying at the base of the statue. Police are investigating the situation. The Boston Monument was defaced before in 2015 when it was splashed with red paint and its base was spray-painted with the words, Black Lives Matter. And in 2006, when the statue's head was stolen and found days later, but was able to be repaired. Gone with the Wind, the classic film depicting life in the South during and immediately after the Civil War, is leaving the HBO Max library for now. An anonymous HBO Max spokesperson told NPR, Gone with the Wind is a product of its time and depicts some of the ethnic and racial prejudices that have, unfortunately, been commonplace in American society. 
These racist depictions were wrong then and are wrong today. And we felt that to keep this title up without an explanation and a denouncement of those depictions would be irresponsible. When it returns, HBO Max plans to provide additional historical context, although the streaming service won't alter the movie itself, per NPR. Next up, we have Rachel's interview with Armstrong Williams, where they'll discuss George Floyd's death. It's our priority at The Daily Signal to keep you informed during the coronavirus pandemic. Here's an important message from the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Taking care of your mental health is critically important as we stay indoors more often. It's important that people get enough sleep because we know sleep promotes mental health. It's important that you get exercise when you can while still engaging in proper social distancing. And most importantly, seek help if you need it. Telehealth services are available and call a friend if you just need someone to talk to. Now more than ever, we want you to pay attention to your mental health. We're joined today on the Daily Signal podcast by Armstrong Williams, who is host of the Armstrong Williams Show, a nationally syndicated TV program. He also is a columnist for the Daily Signal. Armstrong, it's great to have you on the Daily Signal podcast. It is my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you and I had talked recently about your perspective on the killing of George Floyd. Can you share with us what was going through your mind when you saw that coverage? I, I kept going in and out of what I was actually watching a movie, our Netflix series, uh, Was This Real Life? And after much agony, I realized it was real life. I mean, George, no matter what people may think about his character and his past and his history, and, and I'm sure people do a very good job of putting that on on display and, and rendering judgment on it. I mean, listen, no human being, no human being, especially given the fact that he did not resist arrest. He was clearly not a threat to Officer Derek Dauphin and the other three officers. It was clear that um, there was something else going on with him. It was noted that he may have been ill before, but to treat him less than human being and, and to watch the life leaves his body. You know, many of us don't get an opportunity to see that in real life. We normally see it in the movies, but you could see him gasping, gasping for his last breath. And you have to ask yourself what happened to those um, unusual law enforcement officers in their lives, in their childhood, that could make them so cold and co so callous and, and behave like the thugs they try to rid the streets of. It's just, just, just really, what's really sad. I mean, it was a sad moment in history. It was. Well, you've talked about the looters and vandalism in Minnesota and how all the protesters uh, there, uh, some were walking peacefully, some were um, not as peaceful. So what is your message to those who have been peaceful, but also to those who have been more violent? Well, you know, America is about peaceful protests. Nothing really ever gets done without peaceful protests. And, you know, I would defend their right to protest, just like I hope someone defend mine not to. We all have our different weapons in how we want to bring about change. And certainly being in Washington, D.C., I saw it firsthand. And those who use their occasion of pain and 
and saying I'm fed up with this kind, these kind of images that disproportionately happen to Americans who happen to be black uh, for those to create uh, looting and vandalism and burning police precincts. They could care less about George Floyd or anybody else. It was an opportunity to show themselves in terms of their character, their integrity, and if they could have gotten away with burning down cities. I mean, and some of these people could have been people from other neighborhoods or, who are hard, who just hate the American way of life and would love nothing but to use this opportunity to further divide us and to bring about destruction. We cannot find ourselves getting manipulated um, and baited into that kind of mindset. We have to weed them out. I thought the president, when he threatened to bring in the military, even though I did not necessarily agree with bringing in the military, uh, I, I definitely don't want to go back to the days of tyranny, but I do think that the governors and everybody else need to exercise law and order. And while you protect people's right to protest, you must protect businesses and institutions and hotels and restaurants who work hard and long to create jobs and opportunities for the American economy. And you know, this economy is already suffering from COVID-19 and they just go and destroy people. I mean, it's not as if they say, well, I'm just going to destroy um the affluent. I mean, it's going to destroy the brands. When you're destroying businesses, you have no idea who owns these brands and who owns these restaurants. And it just, what happened was it's just people of all walks of life who asked themselves, I happen to be an American and black. Why are you destroying my my workplace? And I agree with what you agree with because they don't care about you. They don't care about your workplace. Place. They only care about their agenda. And thank God, it seems that that has come to a screeching halt here in this country. On Twitter, you've spoken about how people can determine whether or not they might harbor racist tendencies, and you mentioned several points uh, in those thoughts that you shared. And can you kind of walk us through those points that you talked about? I, you know, I was actually um, um, surprised at the kind of feedback. I even had owners of major companies to call me and ask and tell me how they read the piece and how much it impacted them, it made them think. And, you know, you know where most people think others are racist, um, you know, and you accuse people of these unimaginable atrocities, uh, but you gotta explore what your deep thoughts are within. You gotta ask yourself questions that make you very uncomfortable. I mean, even when you hear about a terrorist attack, a sniper, or a serial killer, are you hoping that the person is not black and you're relieved when you realize they're white? Then obviously you're harboring racist thoughts. And when you hear about someone committing a crime, do you automatically go to what you normally see in the media headline, you assume that person is black? You know, it's no different than I saw this video with someone who happens to be white, was driving down the highway, and obviously she had an infraction, and the police officer clearly on the video said you seem nervous and she said I am I don't really gonna get shot she said oh the police officer said this Rachel we only shoot black people you have nothing to worry about you're white clearly that is a blatant racist statement from law enforcement uh, and he may have said it in jest but to say that and she was just disheveled by what he says and he, you know I love kids uh, it doesn't matter when I see babies it just warns me I love children it matters not to me what the race of the baby is how the baby is dressed 
uh, I just love babies. Do you pause when you're about to hug a baby to ask whether the baby is white or black or whether you hug the baby and find an excuse for, I don't want to um, engage with somebody else's children because that's a very sensitive issue. I mean, and do you go to neighborhoods and when you hear that somebody black is moving in the neighborhood, do you feel that somehow or another uh, devalues your property and you're uncomfortable, you feel uneasy about it because you have the stereotype um, that they devalue the neighborhood? Or, or if you are in a school and your teacher is teaching what would be considered to be ethnic studies and you walk in the classroom and you realize the teacher is not black but the teacher is white, uh, and are you offended because you don't think there's nothing that this white person could know about ethnic studies and, and America, black American history, and all of a sudden you want to pull your kid out of the class? So that just doesn't happen on one side. It happens on both sides. And did you vote for President Trump because he's white? Or did you vote for him because you thought he was the best choice in terms of the values and the direction you wanted to see the country? And if you voted for him because you want somebody white in the White House, then clearly there's a racist thought. No different than Obama. Did you vote for Obama? because he was black? Were you proud because you had a black man in the White House? We understand the history. We understand how far America has come. But if you clearly voted him, now that may be a bonus, but did you vote for him because of his intellect, because he was prepared, he had the right message that resonated with you, you felt he could bring the country together? All these things that people have to ask themselves. And, and do you feel more comfortable working around someone that looks like you, or don't look like you? I mean, it goes to, to try to paint this broad brush that racism and it can only be um, perpetrated by somebody that's white is absolutely ridiculous. We've also spoken about how people make too many generalizations um, when it comes to someone who might support President Trump um, and still be outraged by what happened to George Floyd. There are many people across the country that um, hold that value where they're, you know, they support the president, but they just are, you know, so saddened and outraged by what happened uh, to George Floyd. So how would you encourage people to be more honest in this way um, where some people say, well, you couldn't support uh, the president, but also be outraged with what happened. You know, we like to talk about how it is so difficult to change behavior and conditioning and who you are and who you are will always present itself no matter how much you try to be someone that you're not. And unfortunately, Rachel, people have been the way they are for so long that they refuse to change because why? They refuse to believe a higher truth. For me, though I've invested so much in my value system and what I believe, if you or anybody else, if I'm having a conversation and we're interacting and you take me to a higher truth, I would abandon that ideology. I would abandon that philosophy immediately because what I care about and what I strive for, no matter how many decades or decades I may have invested in that philosophy or that ideology, I'm going to, I'm going to embrace it because it's truth which I seek, and it's only truth that can set you free. And so even for me, who happens to be an American, who and there's no question – I'm privileged, and people, and, and why do I say privileged? Because people assume that when you say privileged, you have to be white, or you have to be something other than black, that in order to be a minority, you have to be struggling, you have to be poor, you've got to be griping about racism, you've got to be complaining about the system, the prison system, you've got to talk about defunding police officers around the country like what they're doing in Minnesota, and that's just a, that's just a blatant stereotype, it's ridiculous. And because I am 
conservative, and I believe in the Second Amendment. I don't believe in abortion. I believe we should limit uh, immigrants coming into this country. I do think we should take China to task about tariffs and its trade. I, I do think it's healthy when I see the president in the past meeting with Kim Jong-un, and he's not talk, talking about raining down missiles on American cities, but he's talking about dialogue, and obviously there's been a change. I mean, I, 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 and even in the prison reform, and so I support those because of policies, not necessarily because I agree with the president, that I'm going to vote for the president, but the moment you say that you agree with anything, or you embrace anything that Trump has done that's good for this economy, that's good for this country, and good for us globally, um, immediately you're racist, you're, you, you're not in touch with your community, you don't care about what happens to George Floyd and these other clearly, clearly uh, situations where rural police officers are out of control. And that doesn't define us. I am not defined by one issue. I'm not a one-issue person. There's more to America than race. America has a... A, a severe problem with the breakdown of family. America has a severe problem with crime. America has some very serious issues with how we return manufacturing to our economy because we're so too dependent on the Chinese. We have some serious, America has these issues with how do we get the economy back. I mean, you have about 35 or 40 million Americans that have filed for unemployment. There are so many issues. People think that when you talk about race, it's the only issue that matters in America. And when I say something like this, people say you're out of tune because you can say this because you're privileged. No, it's because all of us have, depending on what we do in life, depending on our value system, while your issue may not be as important to me as it is to you, I still find value in your issue. But don't expect me to get worked up and go out and protest just like you. But it doesn't mean I don't care about the issue any less. We've also mentioned how the police force should be slow to hire and quick to fire. So what kind of reforms, Armstrong, do you think law enforcement should work in their systems to make these things not happen again? You know, Derek Chopin, uh, Rachel, is the, is the perfect example. How is it that someone had 17 infractions against them? And they removed they remove the one jurisdiction to the next. And the reason why is that Code Blue b- believes that if you discuss any of their prior infractions, whether someone died um, during their arresting, or whether someone was injured, or whether you used a chokehold, or you put your knee on someone's neck before, which was clearly shown in his record, you cannot pass those records on to the next jurisdiction. That must change. There is no way you cannot share that information because, listen, that is a pattern. As I said earlier in our conversation, if someone reveals themselves to you, believe them. That's who he is, and he's not going to change it. What you do by not sharing his record, you would enable him to become an even more dangerous monster. And while it may be a small infraction, slapping someone a baton when they're driving too fast, um, throwing somebody to the ground and handcuffing them in a violent way, putting your knee on their neck as he's done in the past and the person that died at that time. It's only a matter of time before this comes full circle and you have the kind of chaotic and volatile situation we have now. That should not exist. Those people should be 
um, slow to hire. You know, you should know about their background. You should know about their mental capacity when they were training. You should know about their background, whether they experienced abuse, the kinds of things that they may have done growing up, whether they got a habit, a habit I just used this crazy example, of killing cats, of killing animals. That, that tells you something about the psyche of a person. And so until you do that research and find out about the mental and also the behavior pattern of that officer, you should be slow to hire. But then when you begin to see that behavior creep in, because there's sometimes somebody doesn't always cross reference and no one always shared the same records. And sometimes you have those records, you can be distracted. You never take, took a chance to do a deep dive to really read about this person's past. But once you begin to see that this is happening, you see this behavior, they should be quick to fire. So yes, slow to hire, making sure you do your due diligence. And then once you see this behavior pattern emerging, you fire them quickly. And the other thing is I agree about the chokehold and how you use your weapon and how you treat these citizens when you are arresting officer. Because remember, 90% of them, Rachel, never pull out their gun. They never use the, bond, the, the baton. They never use the taser. They use their experience, the fact that they have the badge, they have the gun, they have the baton, they have the taser. They have the strength of that position. And that position, which gives them authority and the way they communicate with the person they're about to arrest, they know how to defuse and calm the situation. And so if 90% of them can do that, there is no doubt others can. Now, if somebody's pulling out a gun and they're starting to shoot you and resisting arrest, that's a different story. There are always exceptions. There's common sense. But, yes, there needs to be reform in the police, and they need to be slow. They should be slow hired and quick to fire. Well, Armstrong, looking at the past over your life, how has racism evolved in the U.S. that you've seen growing up, and do you think America is inherently racist or not? You know, I hate to disappoint your listeners, and this is no secret to people who know me. For me personally, I've never experienced racism. It's never impacted my life. On the farm in South Carolina, in the educational system in South Carolina, at South Carolina State University in Orangeburg, to my working for Senator Strom Thurmond, and, and, and my being a uh, in the real estate business, in the hotel business, and owning broadcast stations across America today. It's really had no impact on my life. Now, my brothers, to a less extent, have talked about issues of being slighted and racism, but even theirs does not um, come close to anything of the stories you, you hear from people about how they are denied opportunities and promotions and access because of their race on jobs and on boards and education and in the legal community and the medical community. Uh, I've talked to people who've had these issues, but I also believe this. For people who believe that the reason why they've not progressed in America and because um, they feel this anger and bitterness because they don't believe the American dream for them, if they believe that it's all because of racism, then that's not true either. Racism may be some of the issue, but what really helps and impacts the outcome of your life more than anything else are the choices that you work, that you make every day. Because there's one thing I realize that the hardest work I do every day, Rachel, is working on Armstrong Williams. And I find when I work on Armstrong Williams 24-7, the world automatically improves around me, and also I improve. And, and so with all of us, uh, people don't have the same drive. 
Um, they don't have the same work ethic. Sometimes you're just not born with the same opportunities, but we've seen people who are not necessarily born into an affluent family and a two-parent household, and they come out of it with amazing, amazing stories. I mean, they've come out with a, they made some of the most amazing contributions to the world. I mean, just amazing contributions. When you think about people who've come out of the Holocaust, who come out of slavery, and yet you ask yourself, they defied all odds because I think there's a spiritual currency for those that struggle. And sometimes people want to use the past, their history as an excuse, not to achieve. They said they're being burdened by the anguish of slavery. I mean, listen, you cannot tell me that what happened two or three hundred years ago is the reason why you today cannot progress and do better for your family, do better for yourself, do better for your community, and do better for the country. And so, yes, while some of this, while race may play a role, it plays far less of a role than people want to get credit for. Racism is not the answer and the solution for what ails America today. And the other thing about it, too, that I've learned from my parents is this. When I meet people, I do not see their race. I see their humanity. I extend my hand and I say, I'm Armstrong Williams. I come with no prejudgments, no preconceptions. And what happens in America today, when you say why, that's supposed to mean, thing, mean something because that's what the media tells us. And the media is the main engine that places this wedge between people in this country and further divide them with what they tell us who we are. Um, if, if, it lead, if it bleeds, it leads. The, the images you see, I mean, because listen, racism, when it comes to law enforcement, only matters when it's a white police officer killing someone who's black. It doesn't matter if it's white or white. It doesn't matter if the police officer kills somebody white. It doesn't matter if blacks kill each other. I mean, just in Chicago, in the last two weeks, in the last 60 years, they've had the most deaths in one day. 18 deaths in one day is unprecedented. Can you imagine if whites were killing blacks or law enforcement were killing blacks? Would, would that matter to black lives? That's, that's, the, that's the lack of credibility for black lives matter because they only care when it involves law enforcement especially or someone who's white killing someone who's black. And, and listen, that has to change. I mean, I mean, it has to change. And, 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 and I know people find it politically incorrect. They say this because, listen, you could end all white shootings of black children tomorrow, Rachel, and it would have zero effect on the death rate of black children by homicide because such white on black shootings are extremely rare. While we denounce it, we say it's immoral, we say it's murder. There's never an exception for kill someone like what we saw with George Floyd. But however, as far as interracial violence generally, blacks disproportionately commit it. And they don't want to hear it. And that should matter. Listen, between 2012 and 2015, there were 631,830 violent interracial victimizations. And I'm not even talking about homicide. I'm talking about... I'm talking about between blacks and whites, but according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, these are not blacks statistics. Blacks who make up about 13 to 14 percent of this population committed 85.5 percent of those victimizations. All right, let's just say about 600,000 felonious assaults on whites, while whites, 61 percent of the population, Rachel, committed 14 percent of the 91,000 felonious assaults on blacks. So regarding threats to blacks from the police, a police officer is 19 times more likely 
to be killed by a black man that an unarmed black man is to be killed by police officers. People don't want to hear that because it's not good copy. It does not fuel their agenda. And so if Black Lives Matters really want to save black children from the trauma of urban violence, they should put their efforts into rebuilding inner city culture above all. And you've got to do that. You've got to, you've, got to, you've got to bring back credibility to marriage before having children. There's fantasies about white violence against black bodies and white people hate black people. It's a distraction from what is actually happening on American streets. And I don't say that to take anything away from George Floyd's life. The fact that he did not get to live out his dream, whatever that was, it does not excuse Derek Chopin and the police officers that watched this because all Americans condemn that nonsense. But, and listen, whites are killed by police officers. They're assaulted by police officers. Asians are too. But that does not make copy because it doesn't sell well for the mainstream media. Well, Armstrong, given your perspective here, how do you think America should move forward in these times? Rachel, I'll tell you simple. When I watched George Floyd and the way he died, I did not see a black man. I saw a human being. And I was, I was outraged, just outraged. And when I saw Derek Chopin and his colleagues, I did not see a white man, a black police officer. I saw that something is deeply wrong with law enforcement. Until we care about human life. It doesn't matter what the race. And until we condemn the perpetrator, not because of race, but because of the behavior and the crime that they're committing at the time, not much is going to change. People get outraged based on the color and sometimes based on the gender and sometimes based on the sexual preference of someone. What we've got to understand, all humanity has value. And we've entrusted law enforcement with the trust to first do no harm. And when those few rogue officers violate that. They should not be protected. They should not be acquitted. They should be punished to the full extent of the law at a greater price than an ordinary citizen because we place a premium on who they are. Why? Because their behavior was disgusting, it was pathetic, and it was murderous. It was not about race, but it was about the behavior. And until we get there, we will have these conversations in the future because all lives should matter. It's the only way we unify when we see the behavior and not the race. Well, Armstrong, thank you so much for joining us on the Daily Signal podcast. We appreciate having you. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. We appreciate your patience as we record remotely during these weeks. Please be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. And please leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts to give us your feedback. Stay healthy and we'll be back with you tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Thalia Rampersad, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit dailysignal.com.